Imagine if you could overhear private, unfiltered conversations between the world's most influential and inspirational women. Now you can. Welcome to Leadership Global, where you'll hear from inspiring leaders who will help you define your vision, grow your leadership, expand your influence, and increase your impact to leave a lasting legacy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's Lead Hership Global Program. I am so excited to welcome all of you to this week's program, where we have the opportunity to speak with Barbara Frankson about how to have uncomfortably comfortable conversations in order to get a seat at the table. I am so glad to welcome all of the unstoppable women around the world to this week's conversation. You know, we are all entitled to live in a world that's conducive to us. We are all entitled to be treated equally, no matter our differences. In order for all to be seen and treated as equals, regardless of our race, our gender, sexual preferences, religion, or any other quality or criteria, we must become the change that we want to see in the world. Society cannot and will not change until we choose to change individually. We can continue to educate and have conversations regarding diversity, equity, and inclusion, but without action, we are only educating and merely going through the motions of change while actually remaining the same. We are simply going to talk the talk and walk the walk. Transformation begins with the willingness to change and then and only then can we begin the process of having comfortable, uncomfortable conversations and challenging ourselves to take the first steps towards change and restoration. When we are transformed from the inside out, our words and actions will begin to line up in taking the necessary steps needed to ensure equal treatment for all. Until all of us are free, none of us is free. Now, are you willing to take a seat at the table and be part of these uncomfortable, comfortable conversations that will, over time, become comfortable? And are you willing to be a catalyst for change, for equality, for all in today's society? Here are just a couple of requirements to have a seat at the table that we'll discuss today. One, having respect of self and others, being able to listen, to hear, to take action and not become defensive, knowing that it's okay to be offended because where there is an offense, progress can occur. Leave your attitude and your fears at the door, be fully present, and be willing to share your story and press through the pain. Now, I have to tell you, this is going to be a dynamite conversation, but let me introduce you to Barbara Frankson. She is an author, a speaker, and a coach. She's the CEO and owner of Second Chances Transformation. She specializes in leadership development, personal growth, and diversity, equity, and inclusion. Barbara is also a certified coach and speaker with the John Maxwell team. She uses her certification in the United States and internationally to assist others in finding their value and voice, both personally and professionally. 
Barbara migrated with her family from St. Catherine, Jamaica to the United States, and she believes that in order for society to change, individuals must first be willing to change. She uses the art of having uncomfortably comfortable conversations to ignite change. Her trainings, her life experiences, partnered with her professional experience in leadership, are used to navigate conversation from words into action. I can't wait for all of you to meet the dynamic and powerful Barbara Frankson. Barbara, we are so honored, so privileged to have you with us at Mm. Leadership Global. We're so excited to welcome you to today's program where we're going to be talking about how to have comfortable, uncomfortable conversations. And that is such an intriguing topic. But before we dive into that, I've got to ask, what led you to have such passion around this topic of diversity, equity, and inclusion, and helping leaders navigate the sometimes tricky waters of DEI? Okay. Um, you know, it's funny because when I joined, I joined uh, John Maxwell's uh, team back in 2016. And we had a table talk that we had to do for five minutes. And what I did it on was there's a quote by Mark Twain that says the two most important days of your life is the day that you're born and the day you discover why. So my why um, has led me to this particular uncomfortably comfortable conversations. Um, I believe that I was born to do this. My pain created my passion, which prepared me for my purpose, right? And when I say that pain, pain, passion created me for my purpose. What I mean by that is I'm originally from Jamaica. So when I was in Jamaica, um, I didn't even know that my best friend was white until I came to this country and someone told me she was because you're just Jamaican. So you can go to Jamaica and you can see some white, someone white, Indian, whatever color, but we don't do that. We just say we are all Jamaicans. When I came to America, um, as you might notice by my speech, you can't even tell that um, I have an accent or from I'm not from here. So meaning here, meaning the United States. So what happens is um, my, when I came here, I was nine years old. No one could understand me. So they put me in three years of speech which took away part of my um, culture, part, part of my culture. But one thing that I know is when I came here and realized that my friend was white and that America, the great melting pot, that all of us are supposed to be equal, it was separate, but definitely not equal. But I was different than a lot of people. I had an opportunity where people had obstacles from the very time I was a little child. My mom was a maid. She was an educated maid. What I mean by that is when she was in Jamaica, she was a teacher. She was educated. When I was three years old, she left to come to America. And um, I didn't see her again until I was nine. Well, my mother had a full-time job and a part-time job. And her full-time job um, allowed her children to live in the maid's quarters so we can have a better opportunity not only an opportunity of an education, at first I thought it was an opportunity for an education, but I realized it was an opportunity for me to 
live with someone that was white, that did not look like me. At the same time, my mother was his maid. But Admiral Victor Berenger, he was a former admiral in the United States Navy. He was the first man that told me my value and my worth. He always told me, look in everyone's eyes and no one is better than you are. No one is worse than you are. You are the same person. Do not allow anyone to judge you by the color of your skin. So I was being prepared for it because um, although I wasn't used to being separated, now I was being separated, but I lived in a home where the man was white and my mother was black and she worked for him, but he didn't treat us as such. I watched my principal coming from my school while I was in the kitchen, uh, knocking on, on the door and Mr. B, I called him Mr. B. He answered the door and he said, does Barbara Frankson live here? And he says, well, did, did she say she lived here? And he said, yes. And then he told him, don't you ever come to my house again? And he closed the door in his face. And once again, he came to me and let me know. No one gets to define you. No one gets to ask where you live. No one gets to put you in a box. So I was learning at the same time. But also what I noticed is growing up, I was more comfortable in a space that was white than a space that was black because I was around predominantly, I was in a predominantly white school. However, on the weekends, my mother always wanted me to know who I was and to be proud of being black. So on the weekends, we lived in the inner city. So here it is, you know, how I fell into DEI. I didn't even know. But what God was doing was he was preparing me to be the bridge and be the gap because I'm comfortable wherever you put me, right? And I also understand both sides. So when I went and, and, and saw that quote from Mark Twain, I was like, wow, there's a reason for this. There's a reason. And right now I'm in an international team. There's 40,000 of us in the, the Maxwell leadership team from 167 countries, right? So racism can't exist. How uncomfortable, comfortable conversations came though, I'm gonna fast forward, is when George Floyd was killed. And ironically enough, May 25th, 2020, it is May 25th today, 2022. So it is the anniversary. When it happened, I was so angry. I was really angry. Um, May 25th, 2020, in broad daylight, three, three police officers watched while the world watched for him to be killed, murdered in broad daylight, nine minutes. Um, when I heard him call out for his mom, I realized that could be my sons. That could be anyone. Um, but this was different. He wasn't the first one to be killed, right? By the police officers or by anyone um, because of racism. This is a really hard topic for me. But what I realized that day was what made it different is when a blind man can't see, is other senses come in so we could hear his pain. We could hear him call out for his mother. We could see the knee on his neck. So hearing the pain and seeing the knee on the neck, 
we could feel it. So all our senses are in. And God had prepared me because my business is called Second Chances Transformation LLC, transforming lives from the inside out. And I believe, Linda, there's, I saw something with you guys where it was the same similarity, transforming lives from the inside out. So my, my walk, when I went into Paraguay and we had to do transformational roundtables, hmm, transformational roundtables. And I said, what, what does that mean? They say, transformación está en mí, meaning transformation starts in me. And I just learned because I came back two weeks ago from Dominican Republic where I did transformation tables. But the first transformational tables that I did in Paraguay, Costa Rica, and Jamaica, where I'm from, was on attitude and forgiveness. Two weeks ago, it was on attitude and hope. And what I saw was when I went into the room, God allowed my pain, my pain stories of racism, the things that I endured, regardless of where I grew up. The only thing that made me different from someone that was black was my opportunity to interact with someone that was white and to understand I too can't say all whites are this or all someone else. I can't go into a minority group and say they are all because I know the pain. I know everything. So it was, it was, it was so, um, it was so overwhelming for me to, but the beauty of it was uh, all those tables, when I go in, I don't know what God is going to do, but I know it's going to be a story that he takes out of me, something that is going to help people see, feel, and hear the pain, which transformation starts in me. And it's a dominoes effect. Everyone in the room, God uses me to transform. So the uncomfortable, comfortable conversations, um, it goes a little bit further because when I saw the DNI was rejuvenated because of the murder of George Floyd, when I stepped into a room with DNI, I still felt that blacks were not being seen. I saw everyone else being represented in, in, in a more in a bigger way. And I said, okay, I have these experiences of building the gap. Let me start because with George Floyd, I started, it was just conversations on race. So um, I contacted my niece, who's white. Uh, she's married to my nephew, who's black. And I said, please, your family, your friends, anyone that's white, bring them into the room and I'll bring someone, the people that are black into the room. And we sat down and we had conversations where they could ask anything, but it was comfortable. And I realized after doing them for so long and after having a conversation with my friends, I said, it's comfortable and all we're doing is talking. And I realized it had to be uncomfortable. So I took away things like, this is a safe place. I took those verbiage out. Because when I walk out the door, when my sons walk out the door, it's not a safe place for us. And we have to assimilate that. And it's not just with the police, because there are good police and they're bad police, just like they're good people and bad people in every single race, profession, everything. And what makes us good or bad anyways? It's our choices. Right. So it's not the person. So so what happened was I started God started giving me instructions and. I took that away, the safe where the blacks could come in 
with their true self. If you're angry, yes, I've been walking like this. I am not okay. It's okay to say you're not okay. Because for 32 years, I was in a career where no one that did not look like me, no white came to me and say, Barbara, I'm sorry. Or how are you doing? All I wanted to do was someone to say, even people that I thought were my friends. And when I approached the subject, they said, well, I didn't know what to say. Well, I told them, I said, well, when a child dies, especially a young, young child, look what happened just recently with, with those kids being killed. It happened in Connecticut, also in Sandy Hook in 2012. No one knows what to say, but we press past the pain because when we say nothing, it's as if we're agreeing. So I created this table that was uncomfortable. Uncomfortable, comfortable conversations. Some people were comfortable, some people are uncomfortable based on where they're coming from or where they are. So at the end of the day, I saw that the transformation in the room led to action steps. Even if it was for someone that was white to say, I'm going to go someplace where it's all white. I'm going to now go into someplace where it's all black, predominantly black. Gave them small steps. Educate yourself. In order for you to understand why white, there is white privilege, then you have to understand why there's black unprivileged. Right. So we started having these conversations and I realized that I had a story for everything that God had orchestrated my life in a way that I could not stay angry for too long. So it just leads back to it's OK to be angry, but does not allow your anger to cause you to sin. Because everyone is my brother. It's easy for us to love those who love us. But to what avail is it? So my whole thing is this. I know without a shadow of a doubt, this is what I'm supposed to be doing because it will change lives. I've seen it. I've seen it change people's lives that are black, white. It did not matter once you're in that room and you're open to it. But you have to understand when, when I go into DNI and they say, this is a safe place, that's a trigger for me because it's not safe for us out here. And, and why is it a safe place? Who, who is that being said for? Because we're in, okay, we can talk, you know, you can say whatever. No, we're not going to judge you. People are not going to judge you. You have to come as your authentic self. So that's why I've started these uncomfortable conversations. And I've given it even something more, even the title, so they understand uncomfortably comfortable conversations while walking Black. Because the stories are still being told. And everyone that comes into the room has another story, has another pain. But one thing I can say, in these rooms, the Blacks are ready to share. And um, we have no weapons. We just have our stories to help to transform the tables. So that's how, that's, that, that was, that's how it started. I know that's, that's amazing, Barbara. Thank you. So let's talk a little bit about what I consider to be really fundamental to this conversation, which is having a comfortable, uncomfortable conversation. And that is really the leadership that I think that you bring to this topic is recognizing that some of these conversations are quite uncomfortable, but you are orchestrating a dialogue that allows it to be comfortable. You're allowing people to air 
those questions, those concerns, those areas of sensitivity that ordinarily they might not feel comfortable enough to actually bring up and to bring into the light of day to have an open discussion about it. So can you talk to us a little bit about what uncomfortable, comfortable conversations are for you and how you orchestrate the dialogue a bit? Right. So what comfortable, uncomfortable conversations is for me is I wasn't always, I'm a living testimony. I wasn't always comfortable talking about race, but the more you do something, it's like riding a bike, right? When you're wobbly, wobbly, and you get on, you just keep going on. Well, if you go into the room, that's the first step, because that means everyone in, is in that room has one commonality. And that's what we have to understand. One thing, we want change. We might look different. We might speak different. We might come from different areas. So it's all about, okay, and I'm saying this is not a safe place. That means what that means is not no one is going to yell at you. No one is going to scream at you. No one is going to be violent because everyone that's in the room are professionals. So, <laughs> right. But what it means is you're going to see the true authentic self. They're going to show up in a way that you've never seen before, which will help you to understand my pain. It also, the people coming into the room that are black have to be willing. So my thing is, I will never ask of anyone in that room something I'm not willing to do. So I model it first. That's, I model it. I basically start off once I start speaking and modeling it and doing what and telling my story, what happens is the room shifts. And when the, when the room, when the room shifts, then it gives an invitation to everyone in that room to just allow their authentic self, whatever it is, whatever questions you have, whatever you need to do, if you need to cry, if you need to scream, whatever it is, it, 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 and that's where the change starts. Because sometimes we're too comfortable. Think about a job. You go to the job and you go to the job and you're comfortable and you don't really like the job, but you go in all the time. But when you start getting uncomfortable, <laughs> you're like, I don't even like this. You start looking someplace else. What can I do to, you know, this is not what I need to do. So when people in that room, now they were uncomfortable going in, but they're comfortable and they remember their story when they came into that room and the things that they heard and the people that are in that room, sometimes it's going to be the first time that they release that pain. They release that pain. So you get to witness it because so many times I, I know that even I just got back from Dominican Republic and I had to go into the fifth grade and I go, oh, my gosh, I've never gone into a fifth grade room doing transformation round tables on attitudes and hope they're fifth graders. But I said, OK, I hope I can do this. I'm going to walk in and start with attitude. So when I got out the rooms. The, the um, other coaches that were in another room said, Barbara, what were you doing in there? We all wanted to come in. I said, I went back to the fifth grade. They go, what? I went back to my pain areas in the fifth grade. I was bullied. Come on now. <laughs> so it gave people, kids in that room, even the bullies, permission through my story to be uncomfortably comfortable 
Yep. <laughs> That's what it looks like. You have to be in the room to experience it. And it's funny because I hear the coaches, some of them, when they come back and they're on social media and they're trying to explain it, they go, you have to be in the room. But trust me, it is a transformational experience that will change your life, that will let you want to be able to, um, to do something. I love that. So let's talk about that transformation. Tell me a little bit about the transformation that you've seen the before and the after with maybe a client or a group or someone you've been working with where there was a real personal or professional breakthrough so that we have a sense of tangible change that this kind of experience can lead someone to. Okay. One of my first roundtables that I did and, and, Let's put it this way. Whatever the subject matter is, the roundtables can be on it. It can be mimicked in anything. So I'm going to go back to one of my first because that was one of my most powerful um, one. And it was in Paraguay. And it was on forgiveness. So when we think about forgiveness, right, even when we say when it comes to race, or when it comes to, to someone not understanding, we forgive them because they're only walking with their lenses, right? So until they, they see through our eyes, right? We let them see through our stories. That's why storytelling is so powerful. Other known as testimonies. We are all living testimonies. So um, there was a situation and now understand Paraguay is a Spanish-speaking country. I don't speak Spanish. So watch how powerful it is that my translator <laughs> it has to translate. So I have to bond with my translator on the ride there so that we become one. And I remember after a session, this gentleman, an older gentleman, he, he came up to me crying in tears. And my translator um, translated. And he said... I have not spoken to my son for 25 years. And the story that you told about your son today, my small action is I'm going to pick up the phone and I'm going to say hello to my son and have a conversation with him. Because what I, I started in that room is when we say small actions create great change. It doesn't have to be something big. Uh, you don't have to go on a march. Smile. You'd be surprised, Linda, because people that are open to different cultures are very surprised that there are some people that, that have no interaction with anyone other than when they have to, like work or school, right? So um, who, where, when, and how? That's what I hold them to. And I give them five days to do that action. So it's an action thing. And then the next week we come back. So it's not a one thing. Someone can come in and have a DNI session and tell you the actionable step. But if who holds you accountable? Who holds you accountable? Right. So it's, it's about saying, OK, this is what I did. And it's a dominoes effect because then we say, OK, you go and you do tables, sit down at the table and, and, and speak to your family about race, because guess what? Blacks were having the talk with their kids from the time they were, I had my, my oldest son, his talk when he was five years old, because I had to, because racism came and met him right there. And I had to, 
to him. So if you don't talk to your students about, if you don't talk to your students, if you don't talk to your, your kids in your household, your families about not being a racist and say, well, I didn't train my kids to be a racist. Well, someone else in their sphere of influence is going to. And, and that's what it's all about. It's, it's intentionally changing. It's intentionally wanting to, you know, because we see all these things. We see uh, what happened in Buffalo um, eight days ago. Ten, 10 people were killed. Well, and we say it wasn't the police. It was a young man, 18 years old, that was taught hate because you're not born with hate. He was taught hate. And his reasoning was that blacks were getting too much. They were they were getting ahead of themselves. They 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 were they were coming in front of whites because that's the lens he's looking through. Because if you sat down and had a conversation with him, he probably has only had bad experiences, nothing good. So he doesn't realize that it's not race related or color related, that it's just maybe you bumped into the wrong person, right? So it's all about changing the lenses through my lens, but also holding accountability saying, if you really want to change, let's do this. But it's a process. It took us a long time to get here. We can't expect to have a session and everyone does this and no one is doing actionable steps because all we're doing is having conversations every week, every month, and nothing is being done. No one is being changed. Definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and expecting a different result. Yeah, totally right. So Barbara, I feel like we could do a deep dive into this for the next hour and not exhaust all the wealth of insight and expertise that you offer. So I first, I want to say thank you for providing such incredible perspective, such insight, such expertise to a really complex, difficult conversation. So thank you. Second thing uh, is that I'd like to tap into, again, some of the wisdom that you've accumulated over the course of your career. So as you reflect back on the amazing leaders that you've had in your life who have helped shape and form and mold who you are today, what is one piece of leadership advice that you've received that you'd like to share with our audience? Self-leadership. How you lead yourself determines how you lead others. And so many people believe, I myself had used to believe that I was not a leader, but you become a leader when people, from the time you were born, because when you cry, you're leading your parents to either change your diaper, (laughs) you're, you're leading. When you go to school, you're either a follower or a leader, right? So my thing is we lead by example. So it's so important that we pour into ourselves. We love ourselves because hate and love cannot stay in the same place. I believe that it's Martin Luther King that said that, but and it's so true. So how you lead and love yourself is how you lead and love others. I love me. So I have to love. But if you are at a place where you can't love, you don't like who you are, that's the first thing is before you can transform a room, before you can help others, you have to look in the mirror and say, what am I doing? You know, and be true to yourself, because if you're not true to yourself, then you can't change. And the truth shall set you free. But do you want to be free? 
So self-leadership is my thing is lead by example. You know? I love that. What a wonderful way to wrap up today's conversation because you certainly are leading through example. You are uh, leading by modeling the behavior that you'd like to see in the world. So, Barbara, thank you so much for joining us. We are so grateful. Thank you so much for inviting me. It is my pleasure and an honor to be here. I truly enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you for joining Lead Hership Global's award-winning podcast. As a member of Lead Hership Global, you have the opportunity to meet inspirational leaders, create lifelong friendships, and be surrounded by others who are invested in your success. Join our global community of inspiring women in leadership, women who will help you create greater levels of impact, support your personal and professional breakthroughs, and help you accelerate your success. Don't miss out on the opportunity to show up, speak up, and step up in your professional and your personal life. Find out how you can join us at leadhershipglobal.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.